Hello and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On today's podcast, Luke and I are joined by Michael Pryor. Michael has published more than 25 fantasy books and over 40 short stories, from literary fiction to science fiction to slapstick humor. Michael has been shortlisted six times for the Aurealis Awards, has been nominated for a Ditmar Award, and six of his books have been CBCA notable books, including three books in the Laws of Magic series. Michael's most recent books include the Chronicles of Krango series for younger readers, the Laws of Magic series, and the Extraordinaires for older readers, as well as Ten Futures, a collection of interlinked stories imagining what our next hundred years might be like, and middle-grade techno-thriller Machine Wars. On this episode, we talk about foreign animation in the media section, and then for the main topic we chat about peer review and the pressure of criticism on a writer. As always, if you have any questions, you can email me on the address mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore. Luke, how have you been? Well, I made it, so that's a, that's a good start. <laughs> you, you're making this a habit now. You're, you're showing up. You're on time. <laughs> yeah, I was a little late, but that's all right. We're six, still, still six, on time five, six enough. minutes, not too bad. <laughs> it's pretty good. Just for the sound check, anyway. But I'm sure our online <laughs> listeners don't really carry the way, because this probably comes out whenever iTunes deems it wise. That's right. It'll still go for the same amount of time. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Um, what have you been up to, Luke? How has your week been? Uh, hectic mm-hmm. all the way through through work again work been um writing a couple of things a couple of articles a couple of bits and pieces mm-hmm. i didn't put the second piece of that story up you may have noticed i'm still <laughs> trying to draw it out so if you're there get some more views so that That's i can right. build up the views for the second one gotta enhance the clicks <laughs> get them yep. more, get more clicks or whatever <laughs> <laughs> just you, you have to put in your uh if you put in ads for your story just be like one weird trick to be incredibly successful at writing. <laughs> Read this short story. You'll I, do it, Luke. I did put up a nice um, uh, tweet. Well, I think it's nice. You'll probably both critique me for it. Okay. Um, but um, I thought similes are poor man's metaphors. You might use a few to help decorate your table, but you don't want your guests to actually notice them. <laughs> Interesting. And that was my take on similes in the recent... What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I can see what you're getting at. <laughs> it, uh, but there's a time and a place for similes, and a metaphor just won't cut it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Sounds good. Well, you've heard his voice, ladies and gentlemen. Michael Pryor, welcome to the show. Uh, hello, Joel. Hello, Luke. He's good back. to be Good to be here. Yes, to I wouldn't you. have come back if I didn't have a good time last time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Not just being polite. <laughs> so how has your week been, Michael? Yeah, it's been, like Luke, it's been busy, but there's uh, good busy. That mm-hmm. uh, Today, I was uh, telling you earlier, Joel, I visited a school over in Burwood doing a talk about steampunk, which is a lot of fun. Mm. Easy to fill in an hour like that. And last night, I was um, at Writers Victoria 
I'm currently, I've just started uh, running a uh, writing session, writing program for, it, they've called call it advanced fantasy writing. <laughs> and that, that uh, puzzled me for a while, but it just meant that they were, uh, they were looking for people in the course who went absolute beginners with the whole writing mm-hmm. business. Right. Okay. And so last, last night was uh, session two of four sessions. So it's three hours each, uh, each session. And last night we were looking at the basic world building, mm-hmm. how you do the world building, the whole business of fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I was able to share some of the things I've learned in this uh, nearly 20 years of doing the business mm. now. So I was opening the toolkit and sharing it. Fantastic. Now, I've got a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Um, Ooh, straight in we with did, the questions. That's right. Bring out the questions. Out goes the casual. <laughs> <laughs> now, first of all, we did um, advertise your course a few few weeks ago well maybe a couple of months ago even mm-hmm. so was anyone there who'd said that they were referred by the morning bell podcast michael no. you're obliged to say yes <laughs> <laughs> nobody said it but i think they're all thinking it oh. they're, they're intimidated i think by uh, okay it's good to know we've got that but it was a, it was a full course they, oh, they had good. to uh, close uh, bookings um, so that that's nice perfect and I've done I've done writing fantasy courses a number of times over the years. Mm. Did some at the CAE the number of years ago, and they always get chock a block. Mm. Uh. There's so many people who want to write fantasy. Yeah. I think <laughs> that uh, there's a real call for it out there. And like everybody that uh, who wants to write, they want the good oil. They want a bit of insight into how you go about it. What the basic they want building the magic block. behind it. That's what yes. They want. <laughs> some of them are really looking for the magic shortcut. Mm. Others, they accept there are no yeah. shortcuts. So what are the pro tips? Yes, that, right. yeah, that, that's what I hope to provide. Mm-hmm. Keep it pretty practical. Try these things. Not guaranteed, but they've worked for me. And that, that's the approach we take. It was, uh, you meant you mentioned the title of the course. And we, we, we had a little chuckle about it last, uh, last podcast <laughs> um, because we were debating as to what advanced fantasy meant. And I, I said to Luke, I was like, now let's, let's compare this advanced fantasy or simple fantasy. Simple fantasy just has humans. Advanced fantasy, tons of elves and dwarves. I'm guessing that's not what you're going for, Michael. No, 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 no. It, uh, I think they run a number of courses, sort of generalist courses for beginner writers. Right, okay. And I think the assumption is you've done that mm-hmm. or you don't need that. And these are the and you're coming in at this level. And I, I assume that I don't have to teach them about words and sentences and stuff like that. <laughs> so, right. so why isn't it called fantasy for the educated? No. Or the over-educated? Or the the over-educated. You're going to have to take that up with the course organisers. I think that it wasn't, wasn't my idea of the course title. But they know what works yep. with, uh, with selling it to yeah, the public. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, and it discriminates, I suppose, so that the people who come into this they, they, they know what to they expect. Have a, yeah. They know okay, what to yeah. expect. And so they're not coming in and saying, oh, well, teach me about words and sentences. <laughs> yeah. What's fantasy even? Uh, yeah, we, we leapfrog over that mm. because we could sp- he could spend hours on genre, hair yeah, splitting. That's right. I'm just saying, like, it's a broad church. There's you all should, sorts of stuff. Let's move on. You, you know should what just, fantasy is? Let's try and write yeah, it. Yeah. Show <laughs> it when you see it. Really. Now, now, the proper answer, Michael, is go to the morning bell. We talk ah. about genre for three episodes and Actually, come to absolutely. Absolutely no conclusion. <laughs> I, I will, look, I'll do that. I'll give you a plug uh, next week in the sessions, guys. And um, to direct, mm. it is one of the nice things that I've been able to do is share a whole lot of resources mm. that I use 
sort of uh, without even thinking about it. And it's nice to usher these people into the community yeah. of, of genre aficionados and people just like the stuff we're all working with. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. And we look forward to hearing what uh, what people say about it as well. I want to throw out my other question. Now. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm keeping this very um, very tight. Mm-hmm. So you may, you you did say that you were um, teaching a steampunk class. What does that involve? <laughs> At, um, this this one came out of the blue a little bit. Mm-hmm. I I work with a speakers agency, and I constantly get. Uh, they them ringing me up and saying, "Look, we need you to go to this school to talk about this. They yep. want to uh, want some workshops about writing, or they're doing your book at year ten. So can you come <laughs> explain?" And this is the first time that I've had a school say that they want an introduction to steampunk. Introduction. Mm. It was an introduction. They they've just decided the English teachers at year nine at this uh, particular school had does they. I had to give them credit. They they wanted to do something a bit new, a little bit different, not just do the tried and true, the same old, same <laughs> old. And somebody said, let's do steampunk. And apparently I said, yeah, without quite realising what it was. <laughs> and they put a steampunk anthology on the book list. Now, all mm-hmm. kids have all got this. And the teachers, they say, um... Um, um, what steampunk? Yeah, can can we find somebody who can come and help us? So that was my job today. I was talking to all of the year nine, so two hundred and fifty of them, uh, as an wow. introduction to mm. steampunk. And the teachers mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, the teacher. <laughs> I said to Joel, the teachers were taking copious notes, uh, and that was good. That's okay. I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, share some of the love for steampunk mm. and to get them a bit fired up and enthusiastic, and. The lovely thing is they they knew they didn't know anything, but they were prepared to learn, yeah. they were mm. willing to learn. And by the end of it, I hope they were all fired up about the possibilities that Steampunk has got for firing up the kids. The yeah. kids, kids were all keen by the end of it, uh, and uh, and the teachers looked like they were raring to go. <laughs> looked like it worked. I well, walked good. out at the end and uh, there was a round of applause and away we go. How was their anthology looking? It was an interesting anthology. It's one I hadn't seen before, and I meant I'm going to be in email contact with the the main teacher, and I'll get the details of it. It's a US anthology. Uh, Kelly Link was one of the people who was involved with putting it together, and it did have a Garth Nick story in there, so Australian uh, head up there. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't know it came out in 2012 so it's been around for a little while but uh anthologies are useful for uh for working in schools because collections and they're always uneven by Mm. definition they're uneven there's Mm. some good stuff there's some other lackluster stuff yeah but they can zero in they can choose the one the stories that they feel would work best with their kids and they can ignore the rest Mm -hmm. no I, i think it is very very intelligent approach to a new field and getting in an expert ahem, <laughs> uh, that's a good step too mm. fantastic good, good day yeah i'll get back to you on that one and see how they go luke are you done with your interrogation can we <laughs> oh, move to being casual and relaxed tone it down a little bit now. <laughs> all right all right i'll hey. sit back now um now <clears> actually <throat> you can't sit back because you've got a section to talk to I us do have about, a section so that's go right for it so now we need to tweets and news and stuff so, I'll just find some of my notes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, hang on a second. 
As he rapidly flips through Not coming through his... up as quickly as I hoped. Um, now this is when it should have been a visual podcast. This is when, yep, that's right. Tick tock. Tick I just found this interesting list of um, top 10 horror authors alive today that just came up in, in, a, in the Twitter feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just got Stephen King, Clive Barker, Dean Kuntz, if I said that right, Anne Rice. Um, Jonathan Mayberry, mm-hmm. Peter Straub, Milo Carbia, Ramsey Campbell, ah. Neil Gaiman. I was glad to see him on the list. <laughs> and Anya Alborn. I'm not quite sure. I don't know. Some, a lot of the names I don't recognize from so here. But, but so there's nine men, one woman? No, there's two or three women in there, actually. Two or three. Good. I, gotta find it. I, I can look through if you like. <laughs> <but> <laughs> Um, a couple of upcoming events at the Writers' Centre, or the Wheeler Centre, sorry. Uh, one of which was a a um, event for Jeanette Winterson, who did a, a retold Shakespeare tale in her Winter's Tale. Um, there's also a ghost stories thing coming up now. I've I wanted to read out a little description here. Mm-hmm. So it's coming to the National Theatre St Kilda. Is it spooky? In July. Apparently, it did really well at being spooky. So I'm just going to find it here. I've got it. I've got it because it's a, a nice description. I want to read out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. So it horrified London. It petrified Sydney. And now this haunting psychological thriller is coming for you. So it's it's seen by over half a million people worldwide, and it's going to come to to Melbourne now, and that's in July. It's not not quite just not quite tomorrow or anything, but mm-hmm. but Girl um, stories. yeah, put on your list, maybe look it up. Get a good old scare. <laughs> Haven't had one of those in a while. Get a nice blanket and take it with you. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap in for the night. And one other thing that I picked up was the illustrator for Paddington Bear, Peggy. Fortnum, if I pronounce that right, mm-hmm. um, died at 96 years old just a few, just a couple of weeks ago. Oh wow! March the 28th. Mm. There you go. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a ripe old age to go, I suppose. But it's yeah, she's done a lot of interest, done a lot of nice art. So mm-hmm. poor Paddington. bit of bit of a wave for her. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there. I, I don't think there was a lot of news around that. I don't think so, anyway. I didn't see that. No, yeah. it's come up through yeah. the feeds, Good anyways. Pickup. Fantastic. Uh, I also forgot, the, yes, Michael Pryor's cat had its um, <laughs> legs shaved, so now it has um, little boots, or it looks like boots. <laughs> <laughs> it's the weirdest looking thing. <laughs> <laughs> when you say leg shaved, it's just the middle of his legs were shaved. He needed to have a drip. This is all serious. <laughs> but it ended up looking like he was wearing Ugg boots, these furry boots and these skinny legs above them. It was hilarious. Not that I laughed at him. <laughs> I'm sure he was laughing as well. Yes. Yeah, he, he's not, no, not no, a no, fan. He, he yep. wasn't. He, no way was he laughing. What, what's a good Twitter feed without a few pictures of some That's right. cats? It, it is extraordinary. <laughs> if, if I ever put a, a cat pick up, Mm-hmm. It, yeah, the the hit rate goes through the roof. Yeah. And I realised this uh, last year. I had a book come out, 
and I usually new book come out, put the put the cover up there, and people go, yeah, yeah. thanks very much. <laughs> I propped the book up in front of the cat. Oh, oh it just just went gangbusters. <laughs> now you're telling me how oh, to sell Oh, lovely cat! Oh, is that a book there? That's yeah, awfully that cynical of you, cat. Michael. <laughs> Uh, look, I'm very calculating. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Now I know how to sell my book. Fantastic. Um, Start balancing it on the head of cats. <laughs> yep. No animal cruelty. All it's safe not cruelty. It's very light. No it's an cats were harmed. No cats were harmed. No cats were harmed. That'd be a thin book. Um, fantastic. Well, shall we move into the media section? All that done. sounds good. Yep. I have no now, more news for us at the moment. Yep, that's right. I'm all I'm all good this time. <laughs> I'll hijack your section next time, Luke. Okay, that's good. Um, in this particular media section, what we wanted it to do is actually fulfill a promise on the podcast. Yes, we're actually keeping our <laughs> word. We did something we promised last episode, and that is to watch uh, foreign uh, animated uh, film or series or anything of the kind. Um, and generally what we mean by that is um, outside of the, the very large established hubs of uh, Japan and the USA, um, focusing on independent studios and, and independent producers. Um, so the task was that we go and do that. Luke, what have you got for us? Yeah. Mine. Oh, hang on. I've got to remember what my title was. I have it. No, I got it. It's quite the title. So it is a quite the title. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, Alyosha Popovich. Tugarinsme. Okay. Which means Alyosha, it's a name. Popovich, it's his surname. It means son of the Pope. In this case, it's an Orthodox Pope. Mm -hmm. And Tugarinsme. Now, Tugarin is a Mongolian surname, I believe, Mm -hmm. or at least Eastern Asia, close to Mongolian areas. And um, Zme means serpent. Now, it came from when the. Uh, when a lot of the orthodoxy was spreading throughout throughout Russia, mm-hmm. um, they can't do like devil or serpent, that kind of vibe from the Bible, that that um, evil creature. Mm-hmm. So they've named this, this Mongolian um, warlord, like the servant, ser- serpent or um, the devil in this mm-hmm. story. Strong. That's a very old legend that it's going off of. Now... Um, it's not word for word. I mean, we're not expecting that anymore in, in any cartoons that we've got. What was the last thing it did that? Probably the Narnia BBC series. But, um... Yep, long time ago. So it was... It was... I'm trying to find the best way to put this. Mm-hmm. It was very well done in terms of screenplay and animation. Mm-hmm. I was expecting... Okay, yeah, it was very well done. Um, so, like, what kind of style was it? it was, was it hand drawn? Was it three D? It was two D. Yep, two D cartoon. I'd say probably in the style of say Asterix mm-hmm. cartoons, okay, things like that. And I think that's kind of, for me. That's kind of where cartoons started to peak. I mean, I've seen some good modern ones, but that's probably the best style which you can just play with infinitely. Yep, you can just hand drawn style. <laughs> drop it out there all the time. Yeah. And so it looked good. Um, everything was. I'm trying to find out. Trying try to find the words here. So it was. Screenplay was great. Cartoon style was great. Um, it didn't feel like a lot of the new Hollywood and Disney and Pixar films because so many of them are just focused on like 
preaching little details to <laughs> to um to people, whether it's to kids or to their parents or anything mm. doesn't that whatever they are, they're always preaching something. There's some sort of moral. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm not saying it's always as overt as that, mm. but but in this case, it was it felt like it was just telling the story. Yeah, and it was I enjoyed that. <laughs> it was great, and and yes, it didn't follow the the legend to the letter, but it was still much closer than I would say mm-hmm. any of the new Disney Pixar ones are to their old stories that they're trying to relate yeah. to. Yeah. Interesting. Um, they did incorporate a talking horse, which was <laughs> going straight off Shrek. It was a bit of a nuisance. <laughs> yeah. um, Just a bit of animation-style storytelling there. It's like, hey, I'm sure the kids would love this. There are a lot of traditional art pieces. Like yeah. the, there was a, the girl who came along in the story as well. She had like the very traditional village mm-hmm. uh, costume. Um, they had a stereotyped or not well yeah stereotyped image of the way that grandmothers are seen yeah in that society at the time where they always kind of like they even if their back is bent double they're always doing everything they're picking up everything they're carrying everything they're <laughs> yep. pushing everyone they're trying to you yep. know <laughs> they're the backbone they're maybe not very happy about it but they're the backbone for of everything society yeah and um uh, there was also grandfather figure in there, so it's got all, it's got all these little archetypes in there. So the grandfather figure, and he was very kind of um, scatterbrained, mm. and like a little weedy guy. And now the curious thing is, because it was based, uh, because it was a story of this son of the Pope, and he was expected to become, you know, the next Pope. Or sorry, in this case, it's a minister. This is an orthodoxy pope, so a minister of the town. But he was, in legend, he was huge. Like mm. he was broad bone, broad shouldered, everything. And so he ended up just becoming the the town's hero. He didn't have the same. He he was clumsy and um a bit scatterbrained. A bit, mm. I guess you could say that's like his grandfather as well. But he he was still a very kind person. So he became this hero character for the the town instead of becoming the next minister yeah and so it follows it follows this story where the the mongolian warlord comes in and he's conquering all the lands he's like okay mm-hmm. give us all your gold so um, the typical tyrant style they were like going to give Lord. they were going to try and trick him out of the gold but they ended up giving the gold by accident and so this hero goes off on a journey to go and bring the gold back and so it goes from there yeah, of course, they do go through little bits and pieces of the same sort of lessons like uh, about greed and like picking up all the gold for themselves, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But again, it's not preached again in the same way that we've seen in all these different yeah. um, ones that we've been looking at recently in the podcast. So it, Interesting. Um, I'll ask a question here, and Michael, you can jump in any time <laughs> as well. Um, is that um, when... Uh, Animation has always occupied a very interesting role when it comes to age, uh, where you know they try and attract the kids, and they have elements which are interesting for children. But then they have the overarching themes, or like uh, emotions, or mm-hmm. jokes, or whatever that go over the kids' head, and they're meant for the adult audiences, the parents who bring the kids along. Do you think like, and it's interesting because I, I think this will tie a little bit into into my story as well. Um, what did you think 
like was it there did the talking horse like was that that token you know our kids love talking horses so of course we have one um but was that a lot more do you think than say western or like uh, releases and that kind of stuff or was it a bit different where do you think the focus was here where do you think the audience the focus was definitely at either older kids or adults Mm. because it wasn't set up in a way that kids would be that desperately interested in it it Mm -hmm. didn't have a very young character to associate with identify yeah it had most of it was like older themes um what was the pacing like pacing was it it had a uh fairy tale pacing Mm. so it was Mm. it starts off with a little bit of narration and then it goes into like the way that this guy grows up and then it goes into the story and it it's it sort of lumbers on it doesn't it's not like Bang, 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 yeah. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But that's where the, the Pixar yeah. uh, movies, for the young kid audience, they bump along. They, yeah. they, they, they go they pretty helter-skelter. So this one was it, a yeah. bit more uh, relaxed. Yeah, it was yeah, more, yeah. more relaxed yeah. in that way, yeah. And you sort of... Uh, some, of the, some of the shots there, you can see, uh-oh, that's going to happen. And then it's like, oh, it's happening, it's happening. And, you know, that it sort of draws out in that way. Hmm. Um uh, it would be great if you guys could watch it. I don't think it has subtitles, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you watched it in I had, Russian? Then? I had it translated, so it was all right. Oh, wow. <laughs> How was that process for you? Yeah. Like, what, watching that, was that that pull you up at any time? Or did you find it, like, no, it was easy I'm to follow? I'm pretty because used you're, to you're, that now. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty used to that as well. Like, you you know a bit of Russian and stuff, so it wouldn't yeah. have been mm. too difficult. Well, bits and pieces, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, Interesting. There you go. Well, yeah. that is the, that was Luke's animation. Look um, it up at least. It's de- look it it looks good, even if you don't understand all the words. It's a very nicely put together okay. cartoon. I'll get I'll get Lucas to to put in the description of, or rather a link to the movie <laughs> because good luck to anyone who can try to spell that out. It'll take a while to spell it out right now. Um, the film that I've got uh, for this uh, section um, is The Prophet. Now, The Prophet is a 2014 animated film. Um, and it was produced by uh, Ventana Rosa, I believe is how you'd say the production company. Um, and it's, ba- it's the profit. It's based off uh, the collected prose, poetry, essays by uh, Khalil Gibran. Um, oh. And it's basically taking that and then animating it. And uh, interestingly enough, the character of Mustafa is voiced by Liam Neeson. So you've got this uh, very well-known voice, uh, but... And as you know, it's a very soothing, very relaxed voice. So then it, it keeps up in this film because it's a very relaxed animation. It was interesting you brought up pacing, Michael, because mm. it's exactly the same thing. Mm. Um, mm. It, it likes to take its time. It's a pretty long film. Uh, runs up to, I think, ni- uh, close to about 90, minute, 90 minutes. Um, so, But it feels a lot longer. It feels a lot longer because it takes its time between scenes. And it, if you know uh, from, from the essays in the po- mm. uh, prose and poetry it's about a character making his way through mm. this town and um i guess uh giving uh what's a, what's the word for this he's waxing lyrical yeah, i suppose he's, he's philosophizing and and, yeah, aphorisms and a things. lot of that mm. yeah tons of life lessons and how we look at life mm. and um mm. it's a very philosophical um mm. book and so how do you do that in an animation and you take the point of view of mm-hmm. a very young character um 
Almetra as she is following this character uh, through the village. And you can see her perceptions of what he is saying. And the, all the narration is straight there. It's taken straight out. They haven't really changed very much in terms of his um, speeches uh, to the village people and to the soldiers and stuff. And it's about... Uh, it, it, it ends it, I suppose, not giving a lot away because... For the first time on this podcast, I don't want to spoil this because <laughs> unless, of course, you've read, read the book, then, well, then you, you understand the principles behind it. But it has a very bittersweet ending to it. And, and, the, and this animation doesn't pull any punches. It, it goes straight mm. there. The, 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 the humor and the fun of, you know, uh, a girl and her, you know, pet gull that follows her around and you see this uh, trope of having this companion for a young girl and obviously attracting that sort of younger audience but then you've got these really deep philosophical themes about love and life and religion and Mm. it's probably one of the most mesmerizing animations I have seen uh, in a very long time. I was incredibly surprised. (laughs) I suppose not too surprised because taking on a book like that um, is obviously great source material, but it it did it really well, and and I I really enjoyed it. And and like you said, Luke, it it, it's interesting that you bring up um, uh, trying to give life lessons and and stuff to Mm -hmm. kids, because this is all about that. Because that's what the, the book was about. It's about uh, an interpretation of life and how we should see life and how we should act in it. And this is, it does it beautifully. The animation style, uh, as a side note, is gorgeous. It's this painterly um, uh, flowing animation, and I really enjoy it. It was really well done. Um, as to the demographic of children to adult, if I were to rate this, it's a difficult one. Because you've got a character who's very young, and we've established that that's uh, identifying. Uh, that audience. Um, and I wonder what a younger audience would make of this film because it's a very beautiful film. If you were to watch this, th- you can miss a lot of the, the speech and a lot of the themes, but you identify with the broader strokes in this. And I think I might be right in saying they would enjoy this just as much as an adult would because they would get two very different experiences. They would get a very broad stroke of how this character is dealing with loss and how she's coming to terms with that. Very simple uh, storyline. Uh, and you could just watch it and you could understand it. And the words are part of that, but not as important. In the adult audience, you have this thing where the words are incredibly important, where contrasting it with the imagery is a completely different experience. So I think in that way, um, I was incredibly impressed. And uh, I've been in a little bit of a cynic slump uh, in the last few uh, animations that I've seen, especially... Uh, um, from from major studios and such, um, but no, it was it was very refreshing. So those were our those were our films. And that's yeah. our promise fulfilled. Promise fulfilled. No more we'll never have to but keep I've another <laughs> one again, Luke. I've got questions. You d- oh, you've go for de- it. You've <laughs> described uh, the prophet so well. It uh, makes me want to see it for mm. start. And it, it just uh, Liam Neeson these days has to be the go-to guy for voiceovers. <laughs> I mean, he was ha- sure. he was Aslan. Wasn't yeah, he, he was Aslan. That's and right. did I did I read today something when over my screen that he's uh, an animated tree in something. A big budget, something or other, translation um, of something. Yeah, I need need to check that one up. But he's hmm. got that sonorous voice. He's yeah, got the texture right. to the voice that works really well. And he will track you down and he will kill you. So that, that's, <laughs> that, that's, that's what, perfect a, di- what for, a dissonance, isn't for, it? <laughs> and 
And because of the poetic nature mm. of the, the text, I was wondering what role did music play? <sighs> there, there must have been some sort of a soundtrack. The soundtrack the was... European, yeah. Uh, it's <laughs> interesting you mention that because... To me, it, it definitely took a, a much lower key uh, yeah. than I thought it was going to. You, there's, there's, uh, uh, there's periods where the, the songs are based on the actual you know, poetry mm. uh, in the book, and they take the lines like straight out, yep. and they'll repeat what he says in song. Mm. And it's beautiful. Yeah. But like those are the moments where you know you, one could um, idly compare it, maybe not fairly to something in like a Disney film or such where they break into song. Mm. Um, but in this one it has it has a different texture yeah. because they're telling a story through this song. Mm. Uh, mm. It's, and it's poetry. It, it, it's a it's a uh, it's poetry given music and you know there will be some people who will be like, oh I, I'm not sure if that works, you know I'd prefer if it was just said or mm. um, but but I think it it worked quite well, and in the uh, the interludes when he's just walking or speaking mm. and uh, normally without these uh, sections, uh, the music takes a lower key, of which course. is just a mm. just a low background. Mm. So it it doesn't interrupt unless it needs to. Excellent. So um, that that was very and and it's interesting you bring that up because each section or essay was done by a different director. So they got different directors to direct each yeah. section. So on death, uh, so on love mm. and such, each are different directors. But the same art style for yes, the animation? same art style. Uh, very interesting. So I, I would love to see what went in the background of this film and how they put it together and where was the common thread and you know mm. what kind of meetings they had and what, you know, what they had to sit down and like, how are we going to tie this together? But... Mm. Um, I'm very impressed with that film, and uh, it's it's really unfortunate it hasn't been given a, very, a larger distribution. But um, <laughs> such is the way with a lot of these films; mm. they don't fit the mold. Um, so if they it. don't have the marketing backing, they don't go that far. Yeah. That's distribution right. Distribution. Distribution. Yeah. Any further questions from Luke or Michael? All good. Now, I, as is always my habit, I like to do some research. It is. Is it? Is it a monster calls? By any chance, the one with Liam Neeson doing the voice? Ah, yes, I think. Yep, you're right. The you uh, Patrick Ness book. Yep, that has made it to the big screen. That's oh, right. Making it to the big screen. So, mm. And he's an animated talk and wise tree. <laughs> very wise. Always wise. Does wise. <laughs> Aslan in a tree. <laughs> what more could you want? You're um, not talking about the BBC Aslan, though, are you? Uh, that wasn't a bad voice. No, the big screen. The big yeah. screen. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, the BBC. The poor man's Narnia. As Aslan with the, with, the, with the two people inside, and you could see the paws uh, moving at slightly different yeah. angles at times. You did have to get over that. But it was, <laughs> the effects it was were a, a little good sad. It definitely it was, was. It was so, so word for word faithful. with the book that yep. it was yep. yeah, faithful. It was a book on screen for the people that needed it. I mm. definitely agree. Um, Michael. Hmm. Have you? We've stolen the show a little bit away from you. <laughs> okay. um, what have you been watching or seeing? Well, what have I been watching and seeing? Look, like everybody, I went to see Deadpool, mm -hmm. but uh, which I I really enjoyed that. And in fact, I uh, mm -hmm. told people it's the most enjoyable movie I've seen for a long time, mm -hmm. for a good twelve months, mm. because I found it. I found it intelligent. I found it clever. I found it not taking itself too seriously. Yeah, it had its flaws. But uh, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Hmm. But uh, and in terms of other um, experiences, going to see stuff, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival. 
I've been to see a number of things, but there was one thing I went to that had genre specificity. Oh. I went to see a show called What Would Spock Do? <laughs> Perfect. And I, yeah, well, I saw it and said, yeah, we'll go see that. <laughs> and didn't bother looking at the description or anything. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, the comedy festival is such fun for taking chances on things mm. like that. You go to see a few headliners, then you just go, you can stick a pin in and just go and see something. Yep. And, yeah, and if it's no good, what have you lost? 20 That's bucks. Right. But uh, this was fascinating because in lots of ways it was an old-fashioned monologue. It wasn't stand-up. Mm. So this hmm. uh, uh, guy came out and it turned out afterwards, so they did a little bit of research, that uh, he didn't write. He was an actor. So oh. someone else wrote this yep. and he learned the lines. And so he stood up and it was, uh, in some ways it was uh, an homage to fandom to being a geek yeah <laughs> and he was essentially telling his life story of uh, growing up and uh, being so much into star trek and loving spock and going to doing it the, and then suddenly uh, later on as he got older he realized that it wasn't cool and so he hid himself <laughs> and then he met this girl who was a fan but he couldn't tell her because he'd repressed himself so and it was it was really poignant it was very funny but it's very poignant and in the end it became a celebration mm. of all that's good about enthusiasm for your interest levels and being unafraid to admit, yes, mm. say it loud and say it proud, I am a Star Trek yep. fan. Yeah. And he found his true love and it was all good. <laughs> and he had lots of little props, lots of little things and to hold up action figures and stuff to break it up so he wasn't just there yeah. uh, talking under a spotlight. And it was a lovely little boutique production. Yeah. So he spoke... For an hour, so he just uh, just talked to the audience wow. for an hour and assumed the parts and uh, uh, got right into the role. And what would Spock do? Spock would go and see this show and would say, yes, fascinating, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was worthwhile. Fantastic. Now... Always, you always, you, you never really know what you're getting into with any of these shows, and sometimes they turn out like real gems. But yep. uh, this was a good one. Really good, it turned out. So let's move on to our topic, unless either of you have anything more in the media section. Oh, I think I took too long as it was. Oh, I think we both <laughs> took too long, Luke. <laughs> um, so let's, let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, this topic is an interesting one, and it's, well, that goes without saying, everything we talk about's interesting. Right, Luke? Obviously, he says, nodding at oh, me. Oh, come on. We're, <laughs> we're always interesting. <laughs> That's right. Um, peer review. It's an, it's an odd word, because we're writers, we're not critics, or are we? Do we actually fulfill that If you want me role? to do my classic pun thing, I can say that we all fear review. <sighs> Oh, wow. And so when we give it to people who re- who are closest to us, then it's really... I didn't sign up for the puns this time. You didn't Look, sign you got up? It. Well, no, it's all right. That's not... <laughs> I got Michael. I Let's not you. do that. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's odd. Do we, in a review, writers, or rather reviewers, will go in and they'll give their, uh, their view on a particular subject. And in this case, we're talking about writing, um, be it screenplay or be it in any sort of print or digitally, um, and reviewers will give their opinion on things and not feel too bad because uh, they're a reviewer. That's what they do. And they and nowadays, in another subject altogether, the entire world is a reviewer because we have the internet <laughs> and we have freedom of speech and everyone can say whatever they want and they can do it anonymously, which is another thing. Um, but when it comes 
to other writers. When it comes to writers giving critique to writers, we get it into an interesting situation. Hmm. And be it an uncomfortable one or a comfortable one, if you're used to it, it's, it's interesting to me, especially because as a writer, I generally stayed away from that for a long time. I didn't uh, publicly review anything. I didn't uh, give my thoughts on any book. If I was asked, I would say whether I liked it or not and glibly just walk away from the conversation. <laughs> um, because I always had this fear that in some way my subjectivity would come across as too objective, as I would state the facts that this is good and this is bad, and that people will get the wrong idea that think that somehow in my critique I wasn't being, quote-unquote, really objective. And that is a very hard thing for a reviewer to do because it's impossible in one way. <laughs> but as a writer, we have a completely different set of biases. We have what we want to write and, in turn, what we want to read. So where does that come into play? It's an interesting discussion. I thought we'd get Michael on, um, and uh, he's written quite a few reviews on his site, very good ones, and you should probably check them out. Um, and, I, and I was reading your review on The Martian, uh, Michael, uh, which is a particularly good one. Um, so jump in. What do you think about peer review? It's, I look at it in two ways. Mm -hmm. I think there is the, the public writer's critic, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, you put it down in words and share it uh, and everybody can get a hold of it, including the person who wrote the work that you are critiquing. Mm. Uh, and that is fraught with all sorts of challenges, especially for people in Australia. It is a very small world. It's If I review in public uh, an Australian writer's book, I could very well bump into them later that week. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I have fairly consciously decided some time ago, I don't, I don't do it. I don't review in public works by Australian people. Mm -hmm. uh, for it, it's it, people might see that as uh, being cowardly, but uh, it's just a personal thing. I ca I came up against it many, many years ago when I was first starting off writing, and I was uh, offered some money to do a review of somebody, and the book was. I really struggled with it. Mm. What I wanted to do was say, yeah, this is not very well written. It's, it's, but I knew the person. Yeah. And I, I, mm. just, I just backed away from it. And I wrote a very bland review that would, would have been of no help to anybody. Mm. And I took the money, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that was of help to someone. Yeah. Well, right? <laughs> so so that's, the, that's the public, the mm. public business. And there's a whole lot more I can say about that. But then there's this other side, uh, the collegiate reviewing and this is the really helpful thing that I think all writers benefit from especially beginning writers uh, when you find people who are peers to use use your uh, use your term the peer review where it's somebody who is perhaps writing beginning writing at the same time as you are and particularly writing in the same genre area and understands the rules and the touchstones of the genre, uh, that is one of the most powerful and most helpful things for people who are starting a writing career, is to get people reading the work with 
with appropriate subjectivity. Perhaps I can put it that way, mm. appropriate subjectivity, that yeah. they uh, appreciate the genre, that they know what's going on. They're not pretending to read it in an academic and objective way, that they understand that uh, uh, there needs to be a level of immersion in the work to respond to it in the way a reader would respond to it. And and as a beginning writer, you, in some ways, you don't need a critic's view, you need a reader's view mm-hmm. because they're the people you're writing for. You're not writing for critics when it gets down to it. <laughs> and so you to find people like that in that collegiate business, the, the uh, away from the net, the away from public mm. sharing, you're there, you're sitting down, you can pull no punches because <laughs> you know uh, that person you'll be reading their work next week and you can trade blows like that. And you can do it unflinchingly knowing that there's nothing personal. Well, actually, I was about to say there's nothing personal. It is personal, but in the best way. Because you know it's not it's not somebody scoring critic points. Yeah, it's personal, they're, but it's private. Yeah. They're knowing your stuff and they're helping you out and they're being supportive, they're being analytical mm-hmm. in the way... Because they know, because they're having the same struggle themselves <laughs> with character, with plotting, with pacing, with setting, and that that is vital. I had that help when I was first beginning writing. There was a good friend of mine was starting writing at the same time. We both like fantasy and science fiction. So we're able to trade drafts and manuscripts and we're able to pace each other too. Uh, where are you up to? How much you written this week? Well, uh, okay. <laughs> next week, oh, I'll get to beat him next week. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that healthy competition is a great thing. So so that that's my perhaps artificial division between in this discussion. Uh, writer's critic, there's that almost private collegiate business mm. might be one-on-one might be with a writing group and then there's that that wider sphere where it's out in the public and you've heard me talk about how careful i am <laughs> when it's somebody overseas when it's a big name like andy weir and yep. the marsh that, that's different i figure they're fair game and they they can wear it <laughs> and they're not like i'm not likely to bump into him next week down at the street buying fish mm-hmm. and chips so like yep. i figure i can do that sort of thing but uh, I, I liked your point too about the business of everybody getting involved because of the net i call it the democratization of reviewing mm. that uh, reviews and critics are no longer these these uh, godlike creatures who uh, can <laughs> sail above the, the yep. rucks and trouble of the world descend to mankind's level <laughs> everybody <Occasionally>. can do <laughs> it and it, it it's interesting how it might be shifting critical opinion of some works yep. uh, because if suddenly everybody who reads the book thinks that it's lousy mm-hmm. and the critics think it's great what is that saying? Mm. That uh, that's, uh, could be a shift in the way we view some works. Mm-hmm. Could be looking behind at the marketing and the money behind the critiquing. Oh. <laughs> and that's yeah. another subject highly, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Are you that's saying they're yeah. corrupt? <laughs> oh, Let's me? have a royal commission. I think we need a royal commission into book critics. That's right. Royal commissioner peer reviewing. There you go. Actually, you brought up a couple of things that I was going to mention too about... Um, how it's definitely the appropriate subjectivity of uh, your peers who you know they read the same things, they enjoy the same things, they can understand what would make it tick and what should make it tick. And in some cases, they may also be in the same situation as you writing similar stuff so they'd know what didn't make theirs tick even though they thought it would make it tick. So you'd have different stages of what you've tried and trial and error 
and it's just sharing the sharing the um, information around there. Now, I, I was looking up information about this, and there's the other side. Well, we're looking at we're talking about on the fiction side of things, mm-hmm. but the I was looking through a place. It, there's actually a way there to submit for. Um, it's, a, it's through some of the publication processes. They have editing and then... They, well, an editor looks at it, thinks, okay, what am I going to do? And then he uh, sends it off to peer reviewers and then they collect the information and say, yeah, okay, that wasn't worth publishing. Mm. And so that's another way. I didn't actually think that was something that was um, as... no. I thought, you know, editors were the be-all and end-all and then it throws it throw that into the... Mm. Um, through the publisher, but... But yeah, so there were three ways that they, that this publisher, particular publisher, mentioned they would do. Uh, bl- uh, they call it the the peer reviewing. This one was one blind peer reviewing, where um, the author submits and they only they only know. So the peer reviewer knows the author's name, but the author doesn't know the peer the okay. peer reviewer. Yep. They don't get told anything, and they review it based on that. The second was a two blind, where neither of them is completely anonymous. <laughs> they don't know what it's who it's from, what it's where it's come from, and so it's just it's, it's completely objective. You may hate the thing, you may love the thing, yeah. whatever. No one ever knows either of these people, so it's not a no, it's not a public review like you were mentioning on online or anything. It's just for the editing process. And feedback, and the third one was a oh I forgot what it was called now. It was I have it here, but I don't want to have to look it up again. <laughs> it was uh, I think it was revealed revealed peer reviewing or something like that. Mm. So they they both know each other. They both know Ooh. they sort of um, they they can find each other and speak to each other. And they were saying there's ups and downs for all of them. Hmm. Now. Obviously, the first two are great for, say, um, I think more like fiction pieces. Like you'd only mm. sort of know, it's only the reviewer who's yeah. knowing who it is and you sort of get a fiction piece and know what it is. Um, when the peer reviewer knows who it is, it's also, it's a bit slight downside when there's a chance that they could take the idea first, something like that. Ooh, okay. But when it's when it's anonymous, it's more, it's less of a. It's an even playing field. Well, it's it's more anonymous, isn't it? Yeah. You, they could steal it even better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when but they were saying that the advantage of them knowing each other and sort of communicating together is that, um, in that situation, they can like keep a check on each other because they mm. know what they know what they're expecting. It does bring up subjectivity, and. Maybe sort of like a respect or sort of, you know, I don't want to bother this guy. I don't want to like frustrate this so guy because I'll I know be, him and he I'll knows be medium. me. And yeah, yeah, I'll measure of, it, my It critique. lowers the standards ever so slightly. Well, yeah. maybe a lot in some cases, but but in other, in other ways it leads to more sort of uh, honesty in other areas. <laughs> it, it, Michael, I want your opinion on this. Hmm. I'm hearing this. And I don't think this is a very good system. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't see how it would work yeah. for fiction. And and I, I'm surprised to hear mm. that, that the people are actually doing this because like you... Oh, this is more non-fiction, this one. Mm. This, non-fiction. So especially yeah. like articles yeah. and... Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For for 
no, journal, academic journals, yeah, academic things journals. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Um, as by well, all yeah. means, mm. uh, and especially I understand in the area of the sciences yeah. and engineering, you, you've got to have things peer reviewed yep. the uh, because the editors don't know the subject area. Mm. So you need subject matter experts mm -hmm. to essentially to vet, to make sure that it's okay before they publish. Uh, yeah. And the level of blindness of, of uh, do people know who is doing it? Yeah, that, that, that's really that's interesting. unusual. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Can't see it working terribly well for fiction. Mm. I mean, really, as you say, the editor has to have the courage of their convictions. <laughs> that's what that's what they're that's for. Their job. Yep. They they can try it out, and it's interesting that a number of publishers for young people, uh, kids in YA in Australia, they have they have testing groups. Mm. They mm -hmm. will actually, the editor will like the manuscript, think it's real, and they will. They'll put it out to, to some audience, kids yeah. to test yeah. the audience. So it's not peer reviewing, yep. but it's reader reviewing. Yep. Before publication, and so depending yeah. on what the kids say, now usually, usually the editor is committed to it pretty much. <laughs> but what the kids say might uh, feed into the editing process. Mm. There might be a couple of concerns. The kids, mm, well, they weren't picking up on that character. They didn't care about this. Well, or, didn't like yeah. the ending. Yeah. If they, if all the kids are saying that, then in the editing process, it can be attended to. Mm -hmm. And maybe even some of their feedback might go into the cover concept. Uh, they, they like this character a lot, and so you know, that character could be featured on the cover. Feature, but, yeah. yeah. So I know that that sort of reader reviewing does happen around mm. the place for kids and young adults. I don't know about adults. Maybe it does. Maybe they've got uh, reader you know, pre-publication readers for grown-up books too. Yeah. Mm. I, it's it's interesting as well because. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, and, and this is a very interesting topic, we could talk hours about this one, and the idea that whether critical review is being swayed by popular opinion. And we won't get into that too much, even though it's a delicious <laughs> topic. Um, but uh, how is the writer affected by that, do you think? When a writer goes in to review a book, do you, do you think to yourself, and, and let's, say, let's say The Martian, let's use that as the example, um, would you say that you had read other reviews about the book before you bought the book and then read mm. it yourself? And do you think, like, uh, obviously you can't answer subconsciously how, how that process works, but, like, uh, is there some of that truth where you, you see something in a review and then you're like, hmm, I wonder if I can, I can spot that in the book, and then you read the book and mm. then you have the similar mm. qualms? Like, how do you think that, that affects it as well? In, in, in books like The Martian, books that are a phenomenon, mm. we're sort of aware of them. You can't help it, yeah. Can't help it. You sort of sort of know what it's about without consciously yep. reading reviews in any detail in any length. Mm. And so... Uh, I just picked up enough about the Martian to think, hmm, that sounds like my sort of book. Yeah. And so I was able to launch into that without, as I say, reading reviews. But it, it, it is interesting, the whole business of reading as a writer, that uh, mostly I can still read as a reader. Just enjoy the book in the way I was meant to enjoy it and, and be involved and immersed as a reader. Hmm. Uh but occasionally mm. I am reading as a writer. As a writer. Mm. 
mm. in that more analytical mode yep. and say, ah, I see what you did there. Yep. Well done, that man. I, I can steal that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and yep. looking at technique and craft. Mm. And so with The Martian, I, I, I just enjoyed it thoroughly as a reader. But there were times I was clicking over and going, ah, yeah, neatly done. I see what's been organised there and how you've pasted, how you've mm. structured the narrative and moved between mm. the main character and you needed to have to broaden it out to give it you know, those sort of technical aspects yeah. mm. and when I wrote the review and uh, that is that's the longest review I've written for some years and I felt I felt um, felt spurred on to do that because after reading it that's when I read reviews mm. and th- this is what I often do after reading a book or seeing it th- th- then I will yep. read the reviews Same. and uh so I, I read a number of reviews that were sort of tutting about the Martian, and they, they were, they, it was the non-genre <laughs> yep. reader yep. commenting on a genre book. Uh, yep. uh, yeah, yeah, the, the, the old chest yes. that one, and, yep. I, I, and they was they were really being condescending and steering about it. So mm. I wrote a review to address that sort of concern. Yeah. You reviewed the reviews. I, in some ways, my review was a review of the reviews, mm-hmm. and but also trying to uh, hold up the book as a good book mm. in lots of ways, yeah. and I enumerated them. Mm. Uh, it and that, that that sort of gets me on to some of my bugbears about reviewing. One of my chief bugbears of the professional reviewers, especially, is when I read the review and the review is essentially saying this film, this book, didn't live up to. Me. I had certain, yeah, expectations, yeah, certain expectations and it didn't live up to them. Yeah, and I asked myself, well. What 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 duty does the book have to live up to a critic's <laughs> expectations? Yes. None yeah. whatsoever, and yet That's it's right. being panned on that behalf. Mm. Yes, uh. it, it, it didn't have enough songs in it, and I really like songs, <laughs> and, and it was disappointing for the lack of yep. song songanimity. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But here we get into this this topic of whether the reviewer should repress personal personal. Wants or mm. desires mm. in order to to have this pseudo objectivity. Do you think that that is something you should do? Like, yeah. or do you think you should assess the book as to how um, you know go down mm. a checklist and be mm. like very thorough about it? Which mm. are, you know, and a lot of people fall between those sticks as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And you, you think of it as a spectrum in some yeah. ways, don't you? A continuum mm-hmm. that at one end is the sort of very dry and detached reviewer that analyzes and breaks it down. And it's useful in yeah. its own way, and some people really respond. And at the other end is the the, the passionate, yeah. total fanboy, <laughs> yep, yep. gushy uh, yeah. response, and then everything in, in between. between. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what is the duty of the reviewer? And that varies too, depending on what the publication they're reviewing for uh, and their particular role as people see it. Uh, as I see it, the role of the reviewer is to essentially praise and to lord all of my works to the heavens, essentially, <laughs> and uh, to say as many good things yep, as possible. that's right. I think all reviewers everywhere, if you're listening to this, that is that is your role. That's I hope you task. understand this. Yep. <laughs> yeah. it, You've been given a job. It is a trick, tricky job, be, mm. being a reviewer, uh, but... Uh, I, I like to see a bit of passion. I like to see a bit of emotion. Yeah. People responding to things that they like, but uh, responding in in a way that is 
grounded in mm. the work. Yep. It shouldn't just be external. Um, it shouldn't yeah. just be I don't like this because mm. I don't like ducks. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> look, look at the work yep. and what is happening there, and draw on. You know, really specific. I love it when they get specific yep. instead of they're just broad and general fluffy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the characters zero, were very deep. Zero in on that character <laughs> in that particular scene. Mm. And what was she Good doing? Story but, arc. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I think I think that's one of the important things, especially for peer reviewing, is that an author should still be well, a writer should still be a writer when they're reviewing. They should still be writing the best that they can write in everything they're writing. Yeah. Reviews. I mean, Very it goes outside so. reviews, certainly, like poems, novels, etc. But even when they're just reviewing something, they still need to put their best words out. Oh, but their, their prose <laughs> their should prose be as should crisp be, as possible, yeah. should, be, should be fulfilling the purpose for which uh, the, uh, they're aiming. Exactly, and yeah. it shouldn't be sloppy. It mm. shouldn't just be seen as something casual. Uh, no, the review should be as tight as, as you say, any other sort of work that they undertake. It's, it's public writing. You don't just do it while you're in your pajamas. And that doesn't mean that you can't have that sort of casual conversational yeah. Yeah, tone. Exactly. Yeah. That's fine. But it should be put it this way: it should be a polished piece. Mm. Yep. And it shouldn't just be a smart casual. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, look, it, it, I guess the, this topic, in some ways, was spurred on by a podcast we did with uh, Doctor Living's when we were talking about. Uh, Kazuo Ishiguro's book, The Buried Giant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we dug into that book and we all had varying opinions on it. And uh, we we, were talking about it after the podcast and we were talking about the idea of like being a writer and reviewing another writer's work and (laughs) and how we had these very, very different opinions of being like, has the writer achieved the intent? And how do you decide what the intent of that writer is? So it's left up to us as as the writer critic or or the reviewer to then decide of whether that writer has achieved his goals and whether the writing is crisp and whether it is has done what he wanted to do. And this Mm -hmm. is going, I guess, a bit more in depth of uh, we're looking at the work for the work's sake. We're not going outside of it and comparing it to other things. This is not Game of Thrones with Mist. That's right. Oh, this is not Game of Thrones with Rollerblades. This is <laughs> this is looking at the work and critiquing it for its merits. And we did that with the Berry Giant. And we, you know, I was more positive about it, and I liked some of the uh, the pros, and and I had more. Um, it, it was a bit more vague, and and you know, you felt that it wasn't very connected, mm. and and it all came together. And and this is where I'm interested to hear both your opinions. <laughs> is that intent? How do we decide good writing? And, and obviously there are objective parameters to that uh, for some people and for myself, I suppose. But then there's the um, whether the intent was brought across in a satisfactory manner. And this is very specific, but I'm opening it up to you two and see what you think. I, I'm afraid I think that that question of the intent mm. of the work is so nebulous mm. as to almost be meaningless yeah that it uh, we can't know yeah. the intent of the author even if the author says this is her intent, <laughs> My intent it yeah. might not uh, end up that way yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it and then trying to measure that stated intent as uh, in the work by some sort of metric uh, no, no. It, I think you can chase your tail on that one till the cows come home. So I, 
I tend to put that mm. to one side as um, uh, my measurement of the book's success is more internal to the book rather than the author. And I'm not saying the author is dead, otherwise that would leave me in a really awkward position. <laughs> uh, uh, I want to see what the work does and is the work sort of self referentially successful mm. uh does it does it work as a work yeah now yep, yep. That, that that's slightly awkward mm. but is it work? and I, i'm quite happy to see it in context in a historical or a cultural context mm-hmm. or in context of the writer's uh, career that that's fine that that can be an interesting way of viewing a work but ultimately is, is the work s- satisfying is mm. another word that I, I like to use. Is it satisfying, which covers an all uh, all sorts of things. Mm. Broad range uh, of emotions. Very, very broad. And it, it leaves plenty of room for, for movement. Now, there are a few basic criteria that, that, that I like to see in any uh, work of fiction. Uh, and, and one of them is, is it engaging? Mm. That is such a fundamental criterion that I, I can almost measure success in those two. Does this work engage? If it doesn't, it, it has been unsuccessful mm-hmm. as a work of fiction. Uh, fiction needs to engage a reader in some, some way. Let me interrupt there. When you say engage, we can keep breaking this down as far as we want, but on a broad stroke, I suppose. Now, a book that is difficult to get into because of the, you know, the heaviness of the the, the, the prose, or is it um, uh, is it just uh, too technical at times, and that pulls you out? Um, how does engage? When we, funny enough, engagement was our topic uh, last year when you came on, um, so that's one way to bring it full circle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like, what is engagement for you? Mm. Is it getting pulled out because of oh, certain yeah. factors? Uh, ultimately, ultimately, it is that. Mm. Uh, it one of the noblest aims of fiction, of story, of narrative, is to achieve that level of immersion. Whereas mm. a, a reader, you have engaged and connected with the work to the extent that uh, the outside world has gone it's away. Gone, that, that you're right. so deeply into it. Now, that can be achieved in all sorts of ways. It can be achieved by difficult and dense prose mm. that I'm having to concentrate so much on each word and where the clauses fall in that complex Mm, that mm. is a level of connection and immersion and it's quite different from the connection immersion that's achieved by a hyper dramatic kinetic scene Mm. of explosions and chases Mm. and that's just working on another level Mm. so the the recipe for immersion is multivarious there are so many different ways to achieve it character that, that connection with a well-drawn character where uh, by artful and careful placement of detail and backstory and psychological depth and resonance, we become very close to mm. that character within mm. a few pages yep. in the most skillful of hands. And there's there's an engagement of a different sort. So uh, with without that engagement, it's... It's difficult for me to see it as successful. Mm. I would be tempted to. You can probably you can correct me. Definitely, I'd be tempted to say (laughs) that um, when it comes to peer reviewing, especially if if a book doesn't 
grasp us or we're confused by it or we never quite get into it, at that stage, we shouldn't be reviewing it, <laughs> unfortunately. I'm not saying mm. you can't critique it, mm. but as, a, as for, especially public reviewing, if it's mm. private, mm. private reviewing, like talking to one-on-one, colleague, I don't know how you pronounce that, collegiate? Collegiate? Collegiate. Collegiate, sorry. <laughs> um, so in that case, definitely, we could still do it in the mm. collegiate um reviewing but as to public reviewing and critiquing we shouldn't be going like because again that's where you get all your poor reviews of like oh the prose was bad oh it didn't it just becomes vague and first of all if it didn't connect with you it may just be that it wasn't your kind of book (laughs) and that's where you're getting these people (laughs) who read literary things and non-fiction all the time Mm -hmm. and they go into fiction they will that didn't get it. I don't know. It wasn't I, worth it. Yeah. It wasn't I'm worth the read, you know. Currently reviewing what I was just saying about mm. the whole business and I realised I was sounding very definitive. This is the way engagement <laughs> is. Uh, but one person's engagement isn't necessarily another person's mm. engagement and that's how personal the whole business of reading is and making yeah. meaning is. And there, there is no book so awful that someone doesn't love it <laughs> and will love it to death. And the other way around. There's no book so wonderful that someone said, this is a piece of rubbish. Mm. Uh, and it is, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of human and psychological things that go into that business yep. of the connection. Uh, and work as you like as a writer, you'll never get everybody. Mm. And so you're absolutely, absolutely right that... Uh, if it's not, if you're not connecting, if it's not working for you, that's not necessarily a measure that the work is a failure. Yeah, it might. Sorry, be. it wasn't a response to what you said about the engagement. It was actually <laughs> something I thought of before that. I was. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not attacking you. We were you looping here. it all together. <laughs> that, that was all. This not is attacking all. you here, but yeah, I think I just oh, feel that yeah. If if, if I it's was not responding, <laughs> this is all planned, folks. Yeah, okay. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a script and our script's running out soon. Running out, yeah. No, no but I, yeah. I think this is it's a complex mm. topic, the whole business mm-hmm. of reader response, critical response, uh, writer as reader, writer as critic. Uh, and as, as we talk about it, it, it doesn't it make you reflect on your own <laughs> business and what yeah. you're doing? The more you talk about it, the more interesting it is and the yeah. more <laughs> possibilities and the less definite you get. Yeah, that's go, it. Mm, the more the more you question, mm, the less definite mm. it becomes. Because, uh, you know, we can always we can always go back in the old file backs. Well, everything's subjective. So, you know, yeah. well, what's the point yeah. in, in having the discussion? <laughs> but at the same time, I think um, there are, and, and this might come across as arrogant, but I feel like uh, within the industry there are objective standards that, people try and measure themselves to or try and achieve um, how coherent this, uh, the writing is or, or whether the, the but then again you, you have writers who who break grammatical laws f- for a purpose and then there are those who don't and end up having those problems and people find that tr- uh, to trip them up and and usually we come to the phase of uh, the majority wins when we see a majority of people reviewing <laughs> yes or no or nay or or neither and we form our opinions on that um, we're actually running out of time. We've we've been taking quite a bit of time, but uh, I hope you've enjoyed this discussion. Um, and who knows, we might revisit this sometime with a, with another guest or with Michael himself. Um, thank you very much for listening, uh, Michael. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Always a pleasure. Pleasure to have you. Great to have you. Um, where can people find your work? And where can yep, my website's uh, probably the first port of call. So uh, michaelpryor.com.au, mm-hmm. and it's got the blog up there, and all my catalog, back catalog, 
and just just google me you'll find me somewhere (laughs) (laughs) quick quick side point that i've just popped into my head goodreads just one quick second about goodreads um you post uh star reviews so you know five stars or i i think it's is it four stars i can't remember what they uh it's five it's It's, five star system but i have a system of reviewing yeah i do three word reviews Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what i do (laughs) again i I, initially when i started goodreads i i I did sort of longish reviews and it was taking too much time Mm. for a start but it's also giving away too much and i felt a bit awkward about it so i went into that three word reviews and i was modeling myself on the 1950s cartoon character of nigel molesworth (laughs) nigel molesworth at one stage was asked about colin wilson Mm. and he said advanced forthright significant <laughs> and this from a 12 year old boy i thought that's really cool that's smart <laughs> advanced forthright significant <laughs> and so i'm modeling myself on that mm-hmm. so i offer three word reviews on all of the books and i have used uh, advanced forthright significant i think once oh, so nice <laughs> and it's just a neat shorthand way for me to offer at least some indication of my three stars it's because of these three mm-hmm. things. My four stars because of these three things. Mm. That, Fantastic. Uh, well, people can follow you on Goodreads too. Yeah, they can do that. There see what go. I'm up to. Fantastic. Luke, where can people find you? What have you got? Well, I'm still up. at the Soul Shard on Twitter and at thesoulshard.com. So come and uh, get those clicks on that story so that I can put the next piece out. <laughs> That's right. Give them some clickbait. Thank you very much, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You can find The Morning Bell, uh, themorningbell.com. .au, the new address. Don't forget, in case we've been giving out bad business cards, just ignore the .net. <laughs> we'll get them changed very soon. Um, as to the morning bell, we uh, they have a, a new submission process. You should totally look that up. Uh, a more engaged uh, editorial review and looking at it, sort of what we were talking about today. Um, but uh, definitely contact them if you have any questions. And don't forget to submit. As for myself, you can find me at the pen of Joel on Twitter, where I talk about the podcast, <laughs> very little other things, and uh, my website, where I occasionally post, and you can find out what I'm doing there at thepenofjoel.com. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.